0: Well, good morning. morning. It's good to see you in worship today. It's just good to be together as we celebrate and you braved the blizzard of 2024 (laughs) to make it out today. Proud of you for being here. Um, I'm, I'm looking out, I'm looking for Keith and Grace. Are they in here? Um, Oh, there you are, right there, okay, I've blinded. Hey, I just want, before we go any further, I just want to celebrate our kind of newest attender uh, here, and, and Keith and Grace Skolomoski are here, and they've got Owen Steven with them, and I don't know if you guys want to, if you can hold him up, um, December, born December 13th, and uh, this is kind of the, yeah, it's, you'll just have to take our word for it, uh, maybe. <laughs> oh, here we go, oh, look at this, oh. Hey, let's just celebrate! Uh, um, so excited. We we always just love to celebrate um, just new births and, and new life and uh, just uh, God uh, bringing new new people into the church and that happens in a lot of different ways. And so we used to say, "Every mother have another" uh, was kind of the you know it's one way to grow a church. Um, and so hey, we're excited for you and uh, just excited what God's doing in your family. And so. Um, hey, if you are a guest with us, uh, we're glad that you're here. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled that the Lord has brought you here on this day. I, one of our prayers every week is, Lord, would you bring those who really need what you have to say today, bring them here. And, and so if you're here, know it's not an accident. Know that it's, it's, it's no accident that you've stepped in on this day. Um, and I was talking with somebody between services and they they were just like I, I needed that that was for me and then i talked to someone a little later that that was for me and then somebody like that was for me and and what i want you to know is is this uh series has been on the calendar for about six months um and and god's just faithful and he knows exactly what you need when you need it and um we can just trust the lord uh to be faithful and so i believe god has a word for you if you're a guest if you've been if you've been here for years and years i believe god has a word for you today if you're connecting with us online, uh, we are thankful for this technology that helps us stay connected. We look forward uh, to when we can get to know you in person. We know many of you will watch online before you ever come here in person. And so we look forward to getting to know you uh, when you can be here. So um, we are in the third week of this series, kind of the map. And we said when we kicked this off a couple of weeks ago that uh, we wanted to just... Look at one of the metaphors of salvation, this metaphor of salvation being a journey. And our mission is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. And if that's our mission, we better be really clear where is God leading, right? We better help people uh, understand where it is God is wanting to take them from and where is it that he's wanting to lead you to. And just so that we're clear, where he wants to lead you to is to Canaan, to the promised land, to victorious Christian living, to a fruitful life uh, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, that those would be born out in your life. And and that's where God, He wants to take you from this place of bondage that you were once in, and He wants to lead you to this place of victorious Christian living, this fruitful Christian living uh, where where you are experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. And that doesn't mean there's not battles to be fought. We're going to discover that. When you get to Canaan, there's the Battle of Jericho right out of the gate. There are battles to be fought. There are plants to be cropped. There are are things to be done, but it's not in your strength. It's in the power of the Spirit that those things happen, and it's not in your power. And so that's where we're wanting to go. That's where God wants to lead us. Uh, Last week, we talked about what does it take to get out of Egypt? What does it take for us to say, I'm ready to move? Well, what does God have to do to dislodge us from the place? Because remember, for most of those 400 years, it was good in Egypt. What does it take for God to get us to the place where we say, okay, I'm ready to follow you? And so we talked about those things last week, and if you missed either of those messages, you can go back online and watch them. But this morning, I just want to just begin by telling you a story. Um, Little Johnny came home from... Church one day and was talking to his dad and his dad said, "Hey, what'd you learn in church?" And little Johnny said, "Well, we we learned about how the people of Israel got out of Egypt." And the dad said, "Well, hey, that's that's really exciting. Can you tell me what you learned? Can you tell me a little bit more?" And little Johnny said, "Well." You see, Moses got into the Egyptian armory and uh, broke out a lot of machine guns and bazookas and passed them out to the people of Israel. And um, They had some skirmishes and they broke through the border troops and they made it all the way to the Red Sea. But they were trapped at the Red Sea and the Egyptians started mortaring them and started strafing them with their air force. And in the cover of night the engineer the Corps of engineers uh, for the people of israel built a pontoon bridge all the way across the red sea and in the cover of night all two million crossed over and the next morning when the egyptians saw that they had crossed over they started chasing them across the pontoon bridge but the Corps of engineers were ahead of them and they had set detonators and they blew the bridge at the last minute and all of the egyptians drowned the dad just said johnny Is that really what your teacher told you in church today?" Johnny kind of put his head down and he went, No, Dad, but if I told you what she told us, you would never believe that story. Um, (laughs) And here's here's what you need to know. Um, If you are new to church and you're not familiar with the story, you've never read the book of Exodus, or you've never watched Charlton Heston's The Ten Commandments, All right. uh, this is going to blow your mind, right? I mean, this, this story is unbelievable. This story is amazing. It, it's, it's such an incredible story, and yet so many of us, if you've been in church for any time, you've heard this story so many times, we're so familiar with it, we miss the power and the magnitude that God took millions of ragtag slaves and delivered them from the superpower of the world at that time and then wiped out the army of that superpower and literally led them through the Red Sea this this crossing of the Red Sea miracle was the signature miracle for the rest of the Old Testament for the rest of the Old Testament people would say things like if God can split the Red Sea he can do anything If God can deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt, he can do anything. It it was the, the miracle that people pointed back to and said, hey, if you're doubting God's power, if you're doubting God's faithfulness, just look back at that. If he can do that, he's faithful. Now, in the New Testament, there's a new signature miracle, and it's when God raises Jesus from the grave. Uh, And it's what we celebrate at Easter that Jesus rose uh, and and is alive today and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father that's that's the miracle that in the New Testament people say if, if God can raise Jesus from the grave he can do anything and and yet for the entire Old Testament this miracle that we're going to talk about today is is the miracle that everyone points back to and so when Moses Returns back to Egypt and let me just say I went 10 minutes over in the first service I'm gonna to try to talk faster in this service We're gonna cover from Exodus 5 to about Exodus 14 or 15. I mean we're covering a lot of scripture I'm gonna read a lot of scripture. I'm gonna preach a little bit. Okay, so that's what we're gonna do um, if you have your Bibles um, get ready, but um, when when Moses returns to Egypt after he's had the burning bush experience and he announces to the Hebrew people that God was ready to deliver them, that he had heard their cries, and that he was ready to move on their behalf and move them from bondage into this promised land, um, the response of the people was super encouraging. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm actually gonna read this verse in the NIV, and then the rest of the time we're gonna be hanging out uh, in the New Living Translation. But in Exodus chapter 4, verses 30 to 31, in the NIV, it says it this way. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses, speaking to the, the Hebrew people. And he also performed the signs before the people. And they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. They believed and they worshiped, and we want to go, well, that's everything, right? That's the goal. They're good. I mean, let's just close in prayer. Uh, They believed and they worshiped. Done. And it seems really good that they did this, uh, but they're still in Egypt. They're still in bondage. They haven't been redeemed yet, And, and even if they believed and they worshiped, there's still more to be done. And I, I would just say we need to like kind of hold on, not so fast in our in our American notions, like well, you pray to prayer and you believe you have an intellectual belief in God. They they said, okay, we believe in this Yahweh. There's a lot of people in America. They like, Yeah, I believe in God. I believe I believe God's right. I believe I believe God maybe even loves me. I believe. Um, and, and there might even be some nods towards worship by a lot of us, but but there's more to be done, and there's more to be experienced. And, and here's what we're going to discover in this. They believed, they worshiped, and they're like, this is good. But things got a lot worse before they got better. And this is important for us to know, because if you don't know this from their story, you'll get, you'll get disturbed when it happens in your own story. Because this will happen to you. You'll come to this point, you'll say, okay, I'm going to believe and I'm going to worship. And then all of a sudden, all kinds of stuff starts to happen. Things start to get difficult. Things start to get worse before they get better. And so many times, if we don't know this, we we fall away we we quit believing and we quit worshiping and we go oh that's not what i expected i thought it was all going to get better and i followed jesus and i would give jesus my life and my problems would start getting solved and i'd start to have more money and i'd i'd be healthier and and my relationships would get better and what's going on i believed and i worshiped and now things are getting worse that doesn't make any sense at all and yet that's what we see in their story and what i need us to understand today is this is sometimes how it happens in our story And when it does, don't be surprised. But what God wants us to understand is, hey, trust me, follow me, walk with me, don't give up. I've got something good on the other end. When I walk you through this, it'll be worth it when we get to the other side. And so they believed and they worshiped, but then things got worse. In your notes, you can just write this down. Starting the journey, this is harder than I thought. (laughs) This is harder than I thought. I mean. I had some notions that it was going to be good and it was going to be better. And man, this is just hard. And that's certainly what they experienced. So in Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, it says this. After this presentation to Israel's leaders, so this is when the presentation was made. They believed. They worshiped. Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh and they told him this is what the Lord the God of Israel says let my people go so that they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness is that so retorted Pharaoh who is the Lord Pharaoh's kind of like hey I know we have a lot of gods here in Egypt I mean we got the Nile God we got the frog God we've got the sun God we've we've got Pharaoh's like I'm a God I mean we've got all kinds of gods who's this Lord who, who is this? And not only who is this, but why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I'm not going to let Israel go. And I, I think if we could, like in a spiritual realm, just kind of see what was happening in heaven, I just can picture God just kind of looking down and saying, well, Pharaoh, let me introduce myself to you. Um, you don't know who I am the the people of Israel don't fully know who I am the world doesn't know who I am let me introduce myself to you let me me demonstrate to you just who I am and so we pick back up here um, and verse 6 says this that same day Pharaoh sent this order this is where things get worse before they get better to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foreman. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That'll teach them to listen to lies. Things get worse. The, The people believed... The people worshiped, and now they got to make more bricks? The same amount of bricks with, with less straw? They, all of a sudden, things are not looking so good, and in verse 19, it says this, the Israelite foreman could see that they were in serious trouble when they were told, you must not reduce the number of bricks you make each day. And as they left Pharaoh's court, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who were waiting outside for them. And they said, Hey, thank you so much for what you're doing for us. We appreciate all that you're doing. We we're so thankful that you're helping us take this spiritual journey and, and we're just we're just thank you. You're you're sitting that's not what they said. That's not at all what they said. This is what they said, verse 21. The foreman said to them, May the Lord judge and punish you. For making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials, you have put a sword into their hands to to, an excuse to kill us. Now, remember, it was just a little bit ago that they believed and they worshipped, and now they're like, "Thanks a lot." What are you trying to do? Like, what? What? This is just a big mess, and it's all your fault. I mean, just the instant turn when things aren't going well and things aren't looking. Good. And so uh, in verse 22, it picks up and it says this. Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested, Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? I mean, Lord, I, there's a whole lot of things that I could have been doing other than this. I was fine out there in the pastures just taking care of those sheep. Why would you take me here? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesperson, he has been even more brutal to your people, and you haven't done anything to rescue them. I don't know if you ever had an honest prayer like that with God. God, what are you doing? I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to do what you tell me to do. I'm trying trying my best here, God. And every turn I make, things just seem to get worse. Where are you at, God? What are you doing? What where's your hand in all of this? You're you're not doing anything. You haven't done anything to rescue them. You're not using me the way you told me you were going to use me. and there's just there's power in this kind of honest prayer. And I'll just say to you if you if you feel like God can't handle that, you need to know God is okay with those kind. Of, he knows what you're feeling anyway. You might as well talk to him about it. He's not afraid of your prayers. He's not afraid of those kinds of conversations with him. Verse uh, chapter 6 verses 1 through 12 uh, says then the Lord told Moses, "Now you will see. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave the land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. And I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them under its terms. I promised to give them the land of Canaan where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I've heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians. And I am well aware of my covenant with them. I love this. God's like, listen, Moses, I don't need your lecture. I'm aware of what's going on. All right. I got this. All right. Thank you, but I'm good here. I am well aware of my covenant with them. And therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression. And I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt and I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God and then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. And this is important. And I will bring you into a land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we talked about that on the first week. That God says, I'm going to bring you out so that i can bring you in it's not just one part of it he wants to bring you out so that he can bring you in to the place that he has for you verse 9 so moses told the people of israel what the lord had said but they refused to listen anymore they had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery and then the lord said to moses go back to pharaoh the king of egypt and tell him to let the people of israel leave his country verse 12 is so powerful Moses says this but Lord Moses objected my own people won't listen to me anymore how can I expect Pharaoh to listen I'm such a clumsy speaker it's just why? why would I go do what you've asked me to do that the people won't listen to me Pharaoh is surely not going to listen to me I'm a, I'm a clumsy speaker and, and in your notes, you can just see this that the greatest battle that we will ever face on the journey of salvation is this do we know God well enough to believe his promises in spite of difficult circumstances? This is really important for us to drill into. Do we, do we know God? This, this isn't about knowing scripture, this is about knowing God, this is relationship. Are we in enough relationship with God when we're at a place where Moses was at? I mean, this doesn't make any sense. My own people are mad at me. Pharaoh's never going to listen to me. Have you heard me talk lately? I mean, he has all of these excuses, but you know what he does? He says, okay, God, I'll go do what you ask. He says, I, I don't get it, it doesn't make sense. On paper, there's no sense to this whatsoever, but God, if you ask me to do it, I will do it. It's, it's so much like uh, Peter in the boat, right? When Jesus says, cast your net out, and he's like, we've been out here fishing all night. There's, there's no reason. We, we're fishermen, you're a carpenter. Why are you telling me how to do it? But if you say so, Lord. And he threw the nets, right? There's, there's this trusting God in the midst of it not making sense. And, in, in your notes, you can just write down, uh, point number two is this, the battle of the gods. So God promised redemption, and Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, hey, let my people go. Pharaoh says, I don't know this God. I don't know anything about this God. And God says, well, let me introduce myself to you. Let me demonstrate my power to you. And, and God answers by sending the 10 plagues to Egypt. And, and what we need to know about this is the Egyptians um, had all kinds of deities. They had a, an entire pantheon of gods. And, and the 10 plagues was a systematic dismantling. Of the pantheon of gods of Egypt. It, it, was, it was God saying, oh, you think this God's powerful? Let me, just, uh, let me just demonstrate my power over this God. You think this God's powerful? Let me demonstrate my power. Let me show you the weakness and the hollowness and the, the complete worthlessness of all of your gods and demonstrate to you that there is only one true God. And that is exactly what's taking place in the 10 plagues. Um, And it's God dismantling these. So in Exodus chapter 9, verses 15 to 16, it says this, uh, By now I could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with a plague to wipe you off the face of the earth, but I have spared you for a purpose, to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth so that 3,400 years later... In a place called Rockledge, Florida, they'll be talking about this event. I mean, that's what's going on here. It's, it's God dismantling the gods of Egypt and demonstrating there is only one true God. If you have your Bibles, we're not going to read all these plagues because we'll be here way too long. Uh, but I'll just kind of highlight some of them. The, the first plague is, is the plague of blood. Moses turns the Nile into blood. The Nile was the life source of all of Egypt. and It was also a God, and this God was the Hopi, the the Nile God, and and when Moses turned the water into blood, this life source to all of Egypt was completely shut down. And then uh, the second plague was the plague of frogs, and this plague was uh, a plague to really just kind of go against this God called Hect, and it it was uh, this frog God that they worshiped in Egypt. And what's so powerful about this is that God sends these frogs, and he says, oh, you want to worship a frog, God? How about I give you some frogs? And he gives them so many frogs that the people, actually, uh, Pharaoh says this in verse 8. You don't have it on the screen, but plead with the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. So literally, the people are saying, would you deliver us from our gods? Let me just tell you, that's a great prayer. That's That's a great prayer for you to pray. God, would you deliver me from the things that I've been worshiping? Would you deliver me from the things that I have looked to as my own lowercase g gods? God, would you deliver us from our own gods? That's what happens there with this uh, second plague. And then the third plague is the the plague of gnats. And uh, the magicians couldn't duplicate this. They said, this is the finger of God. I my high school years were in Mississippi and there's a lot of gnats in Mississippi in the summertime and I'm just telling you yeah that's the finger of God there's something evil about these things Um, and there was a lot of them Uh, then the fourth plague was the flies um, everywhere except Goshen where the people of Israel were so flies everywhere except for the land of Goshen the fifth plague was this the livestock uh, all died Uh, Apis was the bull god in Egypt Um, and you'll remember that if you're familiar with the story when the people of Israel made it to Mount Sinai and when Moses was getting the Ten Commandments they said hey let's worship the gods that delivered us from Egypt and they made a golden calf out of gold and they worshipped this golden calf as if Apis this Egyptian god was the one that delivered them which is so ridiculous because here God says oh you want to worship this bull god how about I just kill them all and let them die there in the fields and and then the sixth plague was boils Um, the seventh plague was hail but there was no hail in Goshen and in chapter 9 here where they talk about hail again this isn't on the screen but let me just read this because Moses actually says this he says quick order your livestock and servants to come verse 19 uh, to come in from the fields and find shelter Any person or animal left outside will die when the hail falls. And so Moses actually gives the people of Egypt an opportunity to bring people in. And there were some of the Egyptians that as an act of faith in Yahweh actually brought their servants in. And there were others that were like, we don't believe in this Yahweh. And those servants were killed by the hail. And then the eighth plague was locusts. Uh, Osiris was the vegetation god of Egypt. Yahweh says, "Listen, you you want to worship this vegetation god? Uh, Let me just lay waste to all the vegetation." And then the ninth was darkness in chapter ten. And uh, as many of you are probably familiar with, the Egyptian sun god Ra was one of the chief gods in the pantheon of Egyptian gods. And God says, "Let me just blacken the sky everywhere except for Goshen, where there was still light." And then finally, there was the death of the firstborn in chapters 11 and 12. And the, at this time, Pharaoh was considered a god himself. And the firstborn would have been an heir to the throne and would have been considered a god. And God says, listen, as I'm dismantling all of these gods of Egypt... I'm going to dismantle them all the way up to the throne of Pharaoh himself. And so, in your notes, you can write this down. There is redemption through blood. Let's get on this journey. Last week we were stuck. This week we're going to get moving. We're going to get on this journey. Um, how, How do we get out of Egypt now that Egypt is in ruins? How do we get out of Egypt now that Egypt has been laid waste? The, the pantheon of Egyptian deities has been shown to be powerless and weak and completely worthless. But what's next? Uh, verse uh, Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says this. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month... Each family must choose a lamb. So in your notes, you can write this down. The real hero of redemption here is not Moses, but a lamb. The real hero is not Moses, but a lamb. The, the Passover meal was a, a perpetual reminder to all those on the journey of salvation that we will never arrive to where God wants us to lead unless a lamb dies. And unless blood has been shed. And in Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, it says, The animal you select must be a one year old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. It was so important that it had no defects. And in in Exodus chapter 12, verse 7, it says, And they are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and the top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. And I just want to kind of focus in on this eating the animal. God, God shows us that nobody gets out of bondage unless a lamb has been killed, and unless blood has been shed, and, and unless then they eat the animal. And Some of you, if you're familiar at all with the New Testament and if you've been in church at all and you're familiar, you're like, some of this sounds familiar. Why? Because Jesus talked like this. There were things in the New Testament, in fact, in your notes you can just write this down. Jesus is the Lamb of God that sets us free. Jesus is the Lamb of God that sets us free. In John chapter 1, verse 29 in the New Testament, it says, The next day John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, he said this and he announced this to, to the Hebrew people, to the Israelite people. They knew this story. They, they understood the significance of saying, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That this wasn't missed by them and then in John chapter 6 verse 53 Jesus said again I tell you the truth unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you cannot have eternal life within you and when Jesus said that people were grossed out people were like what's he talking about People missed the symbolism of what Jesus was trying to do, but in light of this story, I don't want us to miss it. Jesus was pointing back to this story that blood has to be shed, and the lamb had to be eaten, and the blood was shed, and the lamb was eaten because the lamb then gave them the nourishment and the strength to make the journey that they had to make. And Jesus says, listen, I I want to provide everything you need. I'll provide the blood so that you will be passed over, that that there will be grace given when there should be judgment, and I will provide you all of the strength and all of the spiritual nourishment that you need as you make this journey. Jesus was saying that we we need to take him into our lives, that he is the Lamb of God, and it's only when we fully take him into our lives that salvation is found. And the people that Jesus said that to didn't get that. But I don't want us to miss that. And if you ever read that passage and you go, "Oh, that's gross. Why would Jesus say that?" This is why Jesus said that. Exodus 12 verses 11 through 13 says this, "These are your instructions for eating the meal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals. Carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency." For this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. This is important for us to understand. The reason that God did this was to execute judgment, not against the Egyptian people, but against the gods of Egypt. For I am the Lord, But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And this plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. I I hope you're making the connection between Jesus and the blood that was shed on the cross so that the judgment that you deserve you wouldn't receive that that god's judgment would pass over you not because of what you have done but because of what was done for you i mean the symbolism in this is so powerful in your notes you can just write this down there's redemption through blood but then there's redemption through water and and we got to get to the red sea we're headed that way all right some of you are like oh you need to hurry pastor i am okay um we we got to get to the Red Sea. I got Before we end today, i got to get you across the Red Sea and on this journey. Um, the, the plagues have ended. The ten plagues have taken place. Pharaoh has said, hey, get out of here. I mean, he's not only letting them leave, he's forcing them out the door. And as soon as he says, get out of here, you know what the people say? Which way do we go? Which way do we go? They don't have any clue where to go. They they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And so I get to play with my new toy here um, and show you this map one more time. So um, here's Egypt right here. Um, And that's really fun, by the way. If you're wondering, is that fun? Yeah, it is. Um, And here's where they're trying to get to in Canaan right here, okay? Now, you don't need to be a rocket scientist I love saying that here because there are rocket scientists in the room it's like one of the only churches where a pastor can say that and you're here right but you don't need to be a rocket scientist to say what is the best route to get from Egypt to here this is the route and it's actually called um, it's sometimes referred to as the way of the Philistines Um, it was a thoroughly developed highway road system for trade and merchants. Um, It it was the most direct route. It was the best route. Um, I had somebody uh, just recently was asking, why would they do this when they could have done this? You know, it doesn't make any sense. You got a highway, you got good roads. There were probably some McDonald's and Starbucks along the way. Um, Why would you do that? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. When you're thinking with the, with the mind of man, you think, well, of course that's the way they should go. But when you're thinking with the mind of God, and God says, hey, my ways are not your ways. Uh, and, and when you're understanding the mind of God, you realize God knew what he was doing. And, and God says, I'm not gonna take you on the easy route. I'm not gonna take you on the smooth route. I'm actually going to lead you into one of the most desolate places on the planet Earth. Welcome to the Sinai Peninsula. And it's, it is just a, a, and the people have to say, Why, God, would you lead us here? And God says, Trust me, I've got you. And, and we see this in Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 through 18. We see the answer to why God led them this way. It says, um, when Pharaoh finally let the people go God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory even though that was the shortest route to the promised land God said if the people are faced with a battle they might change their minds and return to Egypt so God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea And thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Verse 19 says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you, and when he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. The Israelites left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went ahead of them. This is really important. Don't miss this. The Lord went ahead of them, and he guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided at a light at night with a pillar of fire. So this is God's divine GPS system, all right? Um, there, there wasn't like a, hey, here's a map, this is the way to go, just start going that way, turn right. I, this is like God says, hey, just, just follow me. I, I've got, it. just follow me. And they're like, well, where are we going? Don't worry about it, just Follow me. I will lead you. I'll guide you. Trust me. Uh, it'll be okay. Even if you don't understand all of this, just keep following me. Jesus uh, says, Hey, follow me. He says, Follow me. And uh, Jesus doesn't just say, I'm going to point you the way, I'm, I'm going like, to give you the direction of the way. Jesus says, I am the way. And if you're with me, you're good. If you're with me, you're good. I, I don't know if you've ever um, been to a big city. And tried to like read a map and find stuff, and you've never been to that city before, and you're you're just getting lost. That is so different than hopping on like a tour bus and having a tour guide just lead you around and show you everything and point. This is what God's doing. He says, Listen, I'm not gonna give you a map, I'm gonna give you a guide. And I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, just, just follow me. And Jesus does that. He says, Follow me. I am the way. And so if you look back at the map, there's some. Um, You know, you start here in Goshen. This is where the people of Israel were. God leads them. Instead of the direct route that they would have expected, God leads them south with this pillar of cloud. They go all the way past Succoth and to pi Haharoth, And here, right on the edge of the Red Sea, there are mountains on their right. There are mountains on their left. And they're in a valley, and the Red Sea is in front of them. Now, if you have any kind of military background, you know that is not a good place to be. You know you don't want to be in a valley with mountains on your right and mountains on your left and a dead end in front of you. And it, for all practical purposes, it looks as if God has led them into a trap. For all practical purposes, it looks like God has said, hey, follow me. And then when they get there, they're like, This is where you led us? There's no doubt they're in God's will, right? There's no doubt that they're doing exactly what God wanted them to do. He's leading them with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. They're doing exactly what God wanted them to do, and he leads them to a place that couldn't be a worse situation. Have you ever ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where just all hell is breaking loose in your life and you're like, God, I've been doing everything right. I have been trying to do exactly what you told me to do. I've been walking with you. I've been following you. I've been saying yes to you. And this is where you lead me? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that? Some of you are like, yeah, but I don't want to raise my hand or like nod my head because then there's a, there's a lot of us that have been in some of these places. In, in Exodus chapter 14, verses 5 to 18, it says this, oh, I need to read faster, when word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds, what have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked, so Pharaoh harnessed his chariot, called up his troops, he took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt. Each with its commander. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with his fists, who had left with fists raised in defiance. So the people are they were fist raised in defiance on their way out. The Egyptians chased after them with all of their forces and Pharaoh's army, all of his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops, and the Egyptians caught up. With the people of Israel. And as they were camped beside the shore near Pi Haharith, across from Baal Zephon. And as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. And the Lord and they cried out to the Lord and they said, God, we know you're faithful. We saw the ten plagues. Man, we're not we're not scared. What are they gonna do? That's not at all what they said. You should read your Bibles and keep keep track of the guy uh, that's, that's reading from the front. Just checking to see if you're with me. That's not what they said. Verse 11, And they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, Leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Every time I read that line, I think about Braveheart and William Wallace and the line that he gives, you know, uh, you can take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom. And if you've never seen that movie, you're just missing out. Um, Wade, thank you for being with me. Um, um, No, it's not better to be a slave. It's better to die free than to die in bondage. Yeah, it's better to to die a free man than it is to to be a slave and and go to your grave maybe years later being in slavery. And Moses told the people, listen, this is important because when you hit a Red Sea moment and it seems impossible and you're wondering why did God lead you to a trap and it feels like everything is all breaking loose and that's all bad, you need to know this. This is the same instruction God gives to you. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have the emotion of fear. That just means you can't let your fear control you. All right? that, that's different, right? Don't be afraid. There's a spider in our house. I'm afraid. But if Melanie tells me to kill it, I do. Uh, because that's what I do, right? I don't want to. I'm, af- I'm afraid. But, but I do it with a broom from far away. But, right? Right? Uh, Don't be afraid. Just stand still. I love this. Just stand still. We say to people all the time, don't just stand there. Do something. God says, don't just do something. Stand still. Stand still and watch what the Lord is going to do. Watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you say today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. <laughs> and I'm like, you're so confusing, God. You just told us to stand still, and now you're telling us to get moving. But, but there is this understanding of, hey, stand still, watch what I'm about to do, but then move out in faith when it's time. It, it's all about the timing. It's all about the timing. Get moving. Pick up your staff. Raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through the Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Remember when Pharaoh said, I don't know this Lord. Who is this Lord? And He says, listen, they're going to know who the Lord is after this. There's going to be no doubt. Verse 21 says this, Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, The Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind, and the wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground, listen, with walls of water on each side. Can you imagine? You want to talk about fear. Can you imagine walking through that with walls of water? We don't know how high, but probably high enough to wipe out the entire Egyptian army, as we're going to see in just a moment. Can you imagine how scary that was? So That's the whole, hey, fear not, but get moving kind of thing. Fear not, be still, watch what I'm about to do, and then get moving. And and trust that I will take care of you. Don't let your fear control you. Even when you have these fears, keep moving. Verse 27 says this. So the sun began to rise. Moses raised his hand over the sea. This is after all the people had crossed over. Um over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place the Egyptians tried to escape but the Lord swept them into the sea and then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers the entire army of Pharaoh of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea not a single one survived and verse 30 says this that is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. It, it took the blood of the lamb. And it took this, uh, this walking through the water. This, this Red Sea moment. Because after this, they're on the other side of the Red Sea. Now they're truly free. After this, there's no more Egyptian army that can chase them. And draw them back and put them back in bondage. After this moment, this, there was a lot of things that built up to this moment. But this was the moment that they were truly set free. The Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. And when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. And they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Man, this is a powerful, powerful story. So I have like three minutes to give you my sermon. That was all like the scripture. Here's the points of the sermon. You ready? They're they're in front of you, and they're fast. What's it take for us to break out of our bondage and get us started on the journey of salvation? Number one, the promise of God is where it begins. The promise of God is where it begins. Nobody gets out of Egypt unless God shows up and says, I've got a better place for you. I want you to trust me, I want you to follow me. I've got a better place for you. I'm gonna lead you out of this place and I'm gonna lead you to a better place. It's God that starts this. Don't ever think that it's up to you. Don't ever think that you're the one who has to get yourself out of bondage. God is the one who gets us out of bondage. He shows up, it's the promise of God that there is a better place, you don't have to stay here. And then number two, the blood of the lamb is the foundation. Redemption is impossible without the blood of a lamb, without a lamb that dies, a spotless lamb, a perfect lamb. And John said about Jesus, you are the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus came and he laid down his life on a cross for my sins and for your sins and for the sins of the world. And and every Passover... When the people of Israel would eat this lamb, they would be reminded that it was the blood of the lamb that was spilt, and it was the eating of that lamb that gave them nourishment for the journey. And every time they would have a Passover meal, every year, they would remember that. Remember what God did for our ancestors back in Egypt. And that was the case up until Jesus, as he celebrated the Passover with his disciples, said, hey, I don't want you to remember Egypt anymore. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Eat this meal and celebrate the fact that the Lamb of God, His body was broken and His blood was shed so that you can find freedom, not from Egypt, but freedom from sin. And then number three there, faith. Uh, and, and this is specifically faith to uh, faith To obey God in the midst of an impossible situation. So, I I don't know when the last time you were faced up to an impossible situation, but when you're facing an impossible situation, the kind of faith that God wants for you and me is the same kind of faith He wanted for the people of Israel. And, And in chapter 14, when we talked about, God says the same thing to us fear not, fear not. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have the emotion of fear. It means while you have the emotion of fear, keep being obedient. While you have the emotion of fear, don't let your fear dictate to you what you're going to do. Let your faith dictate what you're going to do. Be still. Just stand there. Quit, quit trying to solve everything yourself. And sometimes we, and, and if, if you're like me, sometimes we're, we're so busy trying to solve everything. And, and God just says, just rest. Just be still and watch what I'm about to do. Watch what I'm about to do. And, and then march forward. Get moving. Be obedient when I tell you to be obedient. Do the things that I ask you to do, and I will be faithful. The last thing I'll just say is this. It's on the screen. The way out is the way through. The miracle at the Red Sea teaches us that often God does not deliver us from our difficulties, but he delivers us through them. I want to pray with us in just a moment, but before I do and, and before our musicians come back, I want to read this passage in Corinthians to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says this in verse 23, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it, and he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Verse 27 says this, So anyone who eats the bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthy is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of our Lord. And that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So I want us to do that this morning. I want us to take a moment, and I want to just give you a chance to examine yourself. And uh, we're just going to bow our heads. And I just want you to pray this prayer. Lord, would you reveal to me any sin, any sin, any, anything that I have done wrong to you or to others, would you show it to me? I confess it to you, Lord. I, I give you permission to shine the, the spotlight of your Holy Spirit on my life. Show me the, the things that are wrong. Would you reveal to us, Lord, The areas that we have missed it. The areas of unknown sin. The areas of willful transgressions. The times that we have hurt you and maybe hurt others. Would you show it to us, Lord? Lord, we confess to you that we need your grace this morning. We confess to you that even if We don't have any willful transgressions. There have been countless transgressions that were unknown. Countless transgressions where we have missed it and hurt you and hurt others because of our actions, our words. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your grace. We pray that you would do something that would Allow us to be forgiven completely, not because of what we've done, but because of what you have done for us. Lord, we need your grace this morning afresh. We're desperate for your grace this morning afresh. We pray that you would pour it out on us all this morning here in this place. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.